Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is As It Was in the Days of Noah by Pastor Sean Wood. Right now as I speak, I pray that hearts would be open and that you would open our eyes in your wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Uh, if you'd like to meet me in Genesis chapter 6, we will get there in a moment. Um, just a brief outline of uh, just a heads up of where things are going. Um, I want to share a message that's been on my heart for some time today. Next week, we will look at answering the question of who is Jesus uh, as we come around Invite Sunday. Uh, and then in September, uh, I, I don't necessarily want to have a Vision Sunday this year, but over the course of September to, to uh, share what is on my heart for us as a church and where, where I believe God is taking us as a church. Then in October, uh, we're off on holidays um, for the month of October. And then uh, we're back in November and we will begin our uh, series called Trophies of Grace, which is all working our way through the first epistle of Peter. Um, and that is a very rich uh, epistle, but it'll take us some time. So that's basically where we're heading for this year. Uh, but today I want to share with you a message that is uh, deeply on my heart. And this is, uh, Jesus said in Matthew 24, there's no need to turn there. In Matthew 24, Jesus said, but concerning that day or hour and you know, Jesus is talking to his disciples in judgment speech. And for the revelation, rev heads, we can, we can fight about this later on, but this wasn't for today. But there are huge parallels in what Jesus is saying in this chapter, particularly in this verse, to today. Jesus is talking about judgment. They've asked him when these things would happen, as in when will the destruction of the temple happen? And he says, concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the son, but the father only. And it says in Matthew 24, he says, for as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the son of man. When I read that verse for the first time, it smacked me clean between the eyes because I thought, you know what? There are huge parallels from the time of Noah to today, and we're going to explore them. But Jesus goes on and says, For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark. And here's a word that jumped off the page and smacked me in the face. And they were unaware. They were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. And I know, I know the story and the account of Noah is a beautiful little Sunday school uh, depiction. And I know so many people read the story of Noah and say, that was the God of the Old Testament. Yeah? Have you read Revelation? The fact of the matter is, a generation of people hurtled towards a flood, and they were unaware. And I had to ask a question. How was it in the days of Noah, first of all? And second of all, what did Noah do? Because by the time we get to Hebrews 11, there's some very poignant things that the writer of Hebrews has to say about Noah. You know, Jesus said that as it was in the days of Noah, they were eating and drinking, marrying and being given in marriage. It's like they're just going about their lives completely oblivious. And, you know, uh, having an office on Redland Bay Road uh, is... Fortunate or unfortunate, but you see thousands of cars every day going past the office. And I do wonder how many people in those cars ever give a thought for Jesus. 
I like the girl in the clip that said, I wish people would ask this question more often. Why am I here? How did I get here? How come there is so much perceivable order in the universe? There's some huge implications if we begin to answer those questions. Come with me to Genesis chapter 6. We'll start at verse 5. It says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Verse 6, And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. Yeah, too often, too often we paint a picture of a God that is this concrete robot that doesn't seem to have any kind of feelings. That's not the God of the Bible. My God wept at a tomb. And a friend of his that had passed away. I read of my God here in the Old Testament that was grieved that he had made mankind. And we live in a time now where I believe the parallels are close. Today, marriage is whatever you want to call it today. We want to, we want to call marriage whatever suits us today. And, and morality is whatever I want it to be. Because morality is, is what I call it to be. It's what they said in World War II. Life is something we want to determine when life is actually life. We want to, now we want to say that certain decisions need to be open because this is in the interest of women's health. Just this week, I heard on the radio that there is a court case that is taking place in Queensland right now where a young man is charged with murdering a young Korean lady. And the motive... I felt like it. What has happened? What has happened? We don't talk about sin anymore. We don't talk about the reality of the fact that we have a disease that only one person I've ever met can cure. This disease will eat you away unless you come to the one that can cure us. I drove taxis for six and a half years and it's not a career choice I would recommend on anybody, but uh, if nothing else, it allowed me to see that what happens after dark, sometimes you would be shocked what happens when the lights go down. We need God today more than we ever did. If society is more and more, I believe, grieving the heart of God. Just as it was in the days of Noah, I think the wickedness of man is increasing. And, and we think that, you know, God sends a flood, this big bad God sends a flood. But at the end of the day, if you read the full account, we see that the cause of the flood is the wickedness that is in man's heart. We paint a picture of an all loving God and God loves us. Absolutely God loves us. But he is a holy God. And we are sinful outside of Christ. We are in our sins. And it is easy to look outside these doors. It is easy to hear these things on the radio and to become dismayed and to lose hope. And I want everybody this morning to grab hope because there's one huge word in the Bible again that we read that will instill hope. 
Verse 7 continues, So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals, creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them, particularly spiders. I know all the ladies said particularly spiders. But verse 9 says, But Noah, the most, sometimes the most powerful word in the Bible is the smallest. It's the word but. We read in Ephesians 2, Ephesians 2, Paul highlights the absolute condition of the heart of mankind and he finishes the paragraph with, by nature we were objects of wrath. Not painting a very good picture, Paul. Sort of pep talk, Paul. What's going on? But then he says, but God. And everything turns around at the but. But Noah found favour in the eyes of the Lord. And I would actually like to reverse that sentence to some degree and say, favour found Noah. That's my story. I don't know about anybody else in this room, but uh, the word favour stands for grace. And can I tell you, I did nothing to deserve God to be graceful towards me, but his grace absolutely found me. And just as is the account of Noah here, do you know, uh, we have not read anything of Noah's obedience. We have not read anything of his righteousness and how he was blameless. We haven't read any of that yet, but we do find we have read that God's grace finds Noah. What did Noah do to deserve it? He did, hasn't done anything yet. What has anybody done to deserve the grace of God? Nothing. What we do see is that when grace comes upon the human life, it propels us to live righteously. It convinces us that we must live before him righteously. My testimony is that God's grace found me. The beautiful testimony of Noah, as we will see, is the account and the story of God's intimate and personal interaction with somebody amidst a very sinful generation. And that can be our story. That can be all of our story. God deals intimately and very personally with Noah. Let's keep reading on. Verse 9 says, These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation, and Noah walked with God. This is the generations of Noah. In other words, this is the emergent story of Noah. This is, this is an emergent story that speaks of uh, Noah's response to this wonderful grace, that he was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. But the most powerful sentence here, Noah walked with God. But Noah, in a very sinful generation, in a very sinful time, decided, no, I'm going to walk with God. What does it mean for us to walk with God? The the Hebrew word speaks of a habitual practice. It's a daily, it encompasses all of our life. We would say, for example, and we had a beautiful testimony to what it looks like this morning, we would say of a married couple that they walked through life together. It speaks of intimacy. It speaks of, uh, in the marriage circumstance, it speaks of one person saying to another person, uh, I choose you and only you. And that's what it looks like to walk with God. 
But Noah walked with God, and Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined. First, note that all flesh had corrupted their way. I remember my first pastor, uh, I remember when I was a very young Christian, I remember coming to him and saying, uh, you know, look, I struggle in this and this area. And, uh, you know, uh, for example, if such and such was just a little bit nicer, it'd be a whole lot easier to love them. And after I rattled off my tantrum spitting, whinging amount to him, he said, you know what? He said, uh, that might be fine for here and now. He said, but when you stand before God, he said, there will be nobody else in the room. And God won't be interested in who said what or whoever else has done. He will only be interested in what you have done. And other people may do whatever they may do. And when circumstances, we know that life presents many circumstances. But at the end of the day, it's how we react. Uh, uh, Chuck Swindoll says that faith is 10% what happens to us and 90% how we react. And they had corrupted their way. There is, there, is, there is absolutely a debt here that's got to be paid. They had a choice. We serve a sovereign God who is in control. And we touched on that last week when we looked at Dothan, that, that God is still in control, don't we? we? We see Joseph at the bottom of the pit crying out to God. And you would say, where's God in all of that? Then we see in Dothan uh, uh, later on that Elisha, is faced, you know, Israel's faced with a formidable enemy and Elisha opens the eyes of Gehazi and says, <laughs> here it is, and they cry out to God and these chariots sweep in. The army's all decimated. But both times, God was absolutely, completely in control. But we are, we, we have our own choice. That is the freedom that God has given us. It is the freedom to choose. For liberty you have been set free. It's the, it's the opening of our eyes to understand that we have the choice to close this door, which God empowers us to do, and to open this door. Yes, God, I open the door fully for you, and I close the door here. It's the choice. You know, people outside of Christ don't have that choice. There's a testimony of a man that lives in Angola prison. He will never be let out of Angola prison. Never. But he has found Christ inside of those walls, and he says, please, don't bother praying for me. He says, pray for my family. He says, because they live outside of these walls and they think they are free. He says, but they are more in captivity than I am. We have the freedom to choose and the boundaries of love are defined by choice. The fact that we can choose God. And what does God say to Noah. Come with me down to verse 14. He says to Noah, make yourself an ark of gopher wood. So we see that a flood is coming upon the earth. And has anybody ever said to you that Christianity just sounds, you know, following this Jesus just sounds absurd? Well, imagine Noah deciding that he's going to build a boat in the middle of a field in a place where people never really knew what rain was. This is a time when nobody really knew what rain was. And some guy pipes up and says, I'm going to build a boat. And everybody tells his family, hide the wine. (laughs) So he tells Noah to build an ark and Noah uh, constructs an ark and we will see later on uh, what happens with that. But I love how God makes a way. God always makes a way. God always makes a way. 
God always warns, doesn't he? He even came to Cain and he said to Cain, he said, sin crouches at your door and you need to take mastery over it. In other words, you need to get yourself sorted here, champ. No, and he doesn't. And God says, because I will bring a flood. So Noah, in the middle of a dry field, and if anyone's watched the uh, Noah movie with Russell Crowe, that's nothing like the biblical account. Uh, I was, you know, I was a huge fan of Russell Crowe until he started singing in movies. <laughs> a gladiator was pretty awesome, but anyway, those are the days. Verse 22, it says, Noah did this. He did all that the Lord commanded him. He didn't do some of what the Lord commanded him. He didn't decide that I'll take what God has said and pick out what suits me and I'll do that part and then I won't do the rest. No, he says, I'm going to do all that the Lord commanded me. And there is a huge challenge for every one of us in this room, just in that sentence, that Noah said, you know what? I don't care what other people think. I don't care what they say. Hide the wine if you must, but I'm still going to follow God. For 120 years it took him to build this boat. Then we come to chapter 7 verse 1. And this is, I'm going to read this out of the ESV firstly. And it says, then the Lord said to Noah, go into the ark. But if you read the old King James, the old King James puts it completely differently. The old King James says, come thou into the ark. One is a directive, the other is an invitation. And if you follow the Hebrew word, come is much closer to what God is actually saying. What God is saying to Noah, yes, you've built the boat, yes, you've built the ark, and yes, you're going to have to leave everything behind to get on this boat, but it's okay, I'm already in here. Fast forward many thousands of years, friends, I've got some good news. There is a flood that is coming upon every single person in this world, but there is also an ark. I hear these words in the person of Jesus Christ, who says, come now to me. Where is the only place that Noah found security? Where is the only place that he would be safe from the deluge? Inside the ark. Where is the only place that any of us will find security? Inside of Christ. There is another ark, but this time we haven't, we haven't built this ark. God says, you can't build this one. You're going to need me to make this one. Greatest invitation in the world is to come into the ark. And if we come uh, uh, through chapter 7, we will get to uh, verse uh, 16, and it says, and the Lord shut him in. Yes, Noah, you've put some bitumen and you've put some, you've put some tar on those joints, but this thing's going to leak unless I shut the door. And when Noah gets on that boat, this is a beautiful picture of salvation. Because when Noah gets on that boat, he abandons everything else that he used to be. Life will never be the same for Noah. And life was never the same the moment he was asked to build the boat. But life now will never be the same again. The tragedy that lies in this story is that it was only Noah's family that gets on the boat. That's the tragedy. The tragedy is that more will not come at the greatest invitation in the universe. 
Noah will walk off the ark a completely different person. Life is completely different for us. We must leave everything behind as well. If we come chapter 8, I love this picture here. Uh, Two things never change. Uh, The ark has settled. Noah is off the ark. And verse 20 of chapter 8 says, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord. And what Noah's saying when he builds this altar is, you know what, I worship you because uh, here I am in recognition that I'm going to continuously need you. The waters have subsided, the flood is over, but I still need you. I am still dependent upon you. Two things haven't changed. Noah's dependence upon God doesn't seem to have changed. And another thing God recognises that he says, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Those things never change. There is still sin in this world. Here's how to become unpopular. Talk about sin. People don't want to hear about sin. People don't want to hear about the fact that there is an implication. But there is also the greatest invitation. That people today can come into the ark. The life that Noah lived was an obedient life. The life that Noah lived was a life that walked with God. But I want to turn now to Hebrews chapter 11. Because there is one thing that separates Noah from so many... I was challenged when I read this. And so many other people that we read about in the Bible, they get this far too late. But Noah got this early. You know, I'll start at verse 6 where it says... Without faith, it is impossible to please him. And, and part of Invite Sundays is to help you with this part. But, but, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Verse 7, by faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events yet unseen. By faith, Noah. Faith is uh, man's response to what God has said. Faith is not a golden pass to whatever you want. Faith is our response to what God has said to us. We'll have a look at this in a moment. Faith in Noah's case was his active obedience to God's grace. The faith of Noah is his personal journey with an intimate God. But he does something in response to unseen events. This, by faith, Noah being warned by God concerning events yet unseen. And we have events that are yet unseen. I, I have never laid physical eyes on God. Thank goodness. I'd probably be vaporized. But I still am convinced that God exists and can be experienced today. In fact, I believe that every person in this room can know him personally. What a privilege. But Paul says we live by faith and not by sight. So let's, let's have a look at this for a moment because Noah uh, was warned of events yet unseen. What does it mean to live by faith and not by sight? Some people may say, well, that means that it doesn't matter what, what, what we see with our eyes. It doesn't matter how we feel that we just uh, blindly live according to faith. That's not what Paul meant. 
That's not what Paul meant. In fact, what Paul is referring to is you should live your life governed by solid reason and evidence. That's actually what he's talking about. Let me give you an example of what I mean by that. Every time, I don't like flying in aeroplanes, by the way. I always prefer to go by boat because if something goes wrong, I can swim, but I can't fly. So, but the fact of the matter is I sit at home and I listen to all the evidence. The evidence tells me that it is safer for me to fly in an aeroplane than to drive my car down the road. And I never think twice about getting in the car. Uh, evidence and reason tells me that uh, the science behind air travel and flight is quite sound. In fact, millions of flights happen every year without any complications, and we have the smallest of, of perhaps complications each year. But that doesn't help me when I walk out across the tarmac and I see this big blob of metal that is not supposed to be 30,000 feet in the air. It doesn't logically make sense to me. So where does sight come in against good reason and good evidence? When I'm walking across the tarmac and the evidence and the reason flies out the window. And I'm standing there going, this, this is not supposed to fly. Here's another example. And recently a family member had to have their appendix out. And uh, uh, immediately you become concerned when, every, when anybody's going to have surgery. And I remember that it was the same with Mitchell. Uh, Mitchell had to have surgery, neurosurgery, and, it was, and the neurosurgeon sitting there going, hey, listen, we do this kind of stuff blindfolded. This is, this is a simple operation. Uh, everything's all right. No need to worry. Uh, uh, you know, this is routine, in, out, recovery's quick. Oh, cool. Yeah, no worries. Uh, and you, you listen to the evidence presented to you by the doctor, but that does not help when you walk in and you see the knives and you smell those, and the nurses are all... This is serious now. But the evidence, sight would like to say to you, everything's going to fall apart. And you don't know what's going to happen when you get on that table and they knock you out. They might operate on your left knee and not your right knee, whatever, I don't know. But the evidence says, and what Paul is saying, we live by the best evidence that we have. We live by an assurance, not only in the written code, but also an assurance in the person that no matter what happens and no matter the circumstances of life, he is in control. That's what faith looks like. Faith, living by faith and not by sight. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear. Could we have the quote, please, Karen? Uh, John Bevere writes a book on the fear of God. This is something that is lacking in my life. When I, read, when I read this and heard Timothy Keller's exposition of the fear of God, I was deeply, deeply challenged. But the fear of God uh, says, you know, uh, one of the quotes from the book from John Bevere says, when Jesus questioned, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which, which I say, he was actually saying, do not deceive yourself by calling me Lord while you continue to live your life as if you owned it. Timothy Keller says the fear of God is not necessarily being afraid of the dark. It's not that kind of fear. This is a reverential and, a, and, a, and it is a fear that comes by, by beholding God. But it is, it is awe, it is reverence for him. And uh, uh, the, the lack of fear of God stems from an incorrect and inadequate knowledge of who he is. You see, Moses went straight up the top of the mountain. 
and commune with God. Israel, you go and talk to him. We don't, you know, we don't, we've just, from what we've just seen, we don't want to go up there, dude. So you go up there and talk to him and you come back and tell us. We're happy with that because we just, we just don't know who he is. Timothy Keller puts it this way. Imagine, this is the best way I know to describe the fear of God. Imagine somebody says to you, here is a rare Ming Dynasty vase. This is priceless. This is, this is so valuable, we actually can't put a price on this. And here it is, and I want you to take it down 16 flights of stairs and to deliver it to the lady at the bottom. Okay, no worries. Who knows that we would walk those stairs very differently than if somebody handed us a dirty old earthen pot and said, can you run this down the bottom of the stairs for me? Who knows that if they chucked you the earthen pot, you'd probably run down the stairs, chuck it up on the bench and go, there you go, and walk out. But who knows that if they passed you this rare, priceless vase, you would treasure every step. It would be slow and calculated. And what are you afraid of? You're not afraid that the vase is going to hurt you. You're afraid that you might hurt the vase. It's the same when we hold babies in our hands, isn't it? You know, when I first held my daughter in my hands, the doctors go, here's your daughter. And I think, that looks like a little alien. That doesn't look like anything like me. And I don't make noises like that. But aren't you careful? Why? Not because the baby's going to hurt you. Not for a few more years yet. (laughs) But because you might do something to hurt the baby. And that's the life that Noah lived. Uh, I preached a sermon on Joseph, and I don't know about anybody else, but it changed my life because I stumbled across a verse that completely revolutionised the way that I, I looked at the whole story of Joseph. You see, Joseph is, we know that he's sold into slavery by his brothers because uh, you need to be careful about telling people about your dreams, by the way, because he tells his brothers, I've had, I've had this dream, you guys are going to worship me, you're going to bow down. So, and my, my boys would chuck their brothers in a pit for that too. But he gets sold into slavery, and if that wasn't bad enough, then, then he ends up in Potiphar's house and, and Potiphar's away, and there's nobody else there. Do the math. There's nobody else there. Here's this little Hebrew boy that's, that nobody really likes, but Potiphar's wife takes a shining to him and on multiple occasions tries to seduce him. And what is the response of Joseph? Joseph's response is, oh, no, I couldn't do that to Potiphar. Oh, no, no, I couldn't possibly do that. No, he says, how could I possibly do this thing and sin against God? His concern wasn't Potiphar. His concern was not Potiphar's wife. And his concern was not even himself. How could I possibly do this and offend God? Living a life in reverential fear of God looks like we, we live life with a posture, an attitude that says, I couldn't possibly do anything that would hurt him. How do we cultivate that? Put simply, behold him. Take time to consider his glory and his majesty. As his awe rises in your heart, you will have reverence and awe. In reverential fear, what does Noah do? He doesn't sit down, cross his legs, go like this and hum. He builds an ark because it's what God told him to do. He constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he did something poignant. He condemned the world. What does it mean when he condemned the world? That means basically Noah drew a stiff line straight down and says, there's no more grey anymore, you guys. 
this black and this white. You're on the black side, I'm on the white side. Who knows we live in a culture where there's far too much grey. There's far too much subjective morality. Well, it's true for me. Mm -hmm. What Noah does here is he lives a life that says, this is sin, this is righteousness, this is your life, this is God. And he becomes, I love this term, and he became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. He became an heir. Wow. What's his inheritance? A new truck? No. A new house? No. That new promotion? No. What's his inheritance? God. What does God say to Abraham? He outlines the covenant and the promises to Abraham. And then he says to Abraham, if you do all of this, I will be your great and exceeding reward. And Abraham says, I'm in. The minute God says, I will be your reward, Abraham says, I'm in. Count me in. Where do I sign up? This is just after God has said, I'm going to make you into a people where you will suffer for 400 years. And Abraham says, yeah, no, I'm in. If I get you, I'm in. Interesting. As I bring this to a close this morning, we read in 2 Peter of Noah. And the second epistle of Peter says that Noah was a herald of righteousness. Speaks of him as a godly man, as a herald of righteousness. And there's a huge challenge in that because a herald is somebody who announces, somebody who who pronounces. And by the life that Noah lived, he heralded to his generation what righteousness should look like. So I want to challenge you today. Once more, God has provided an ark. Once more, for every one of us, it's going to mean a complete abandonment. You've got to leave everything else behind if you're going to get on board this ark. Jesus didn't make any bones about that. There's no fine print in salvation. Jesus, Jesus outlined the fine print straight up and said, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to take up your cross. We'll get to the pep talk later. Noah's life that he lived spoke louder than any of his words. And that clip that we watched this morning tells me that we have a huge challenge in front of us. We have a generation of people that are living in a grey area and they are unaware that there is a flood coming. We have a huge challenge to live a life that draws some lines. We should be standing up for what marriage really is. We should be standing up for the fact that life begins... A lot earlier than people say it does. We should also be standing up for our elderly and vulnerable people and saying, uh, if you can create life, then you can do something about it. Otherwise, leave them alone and look after them. God calls people home when he's ready. And we should be living a life that says, my Redeemer lives. I'm not perfect, but I am forgiven. Forgiven. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I pray that every single one of us here this morning would take up that challenge. Father, may we leave everything of this world behind and get aboard the ark 
accept the greatest invitation of life with you. Father, I pray that you would allow every single one of us to behold you more, that we would fear you more, that we would respect you more, that we would reverence you more. Father, I pray that this would not be a challenge that that ends when we walk out the doors today, but may it continue onwards from here, I pray. And we pray, Lord, that you would use us to get as many people on board the ark that you have prepared as is possible. Father, we surrender to you and we rely and are dependent upon you this morning. We thank you for your great grace that found every one of us. Help us to walk with you, Father. Help us to know you. We pray this in your wonderful name. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.